Welcome to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. With me today is Rebecca Marta Savage, Professor of Social Foundations and Community Education in the Department of Teacher Education at Eastern Michigan University, and she teaches in the PhD program there in Educational Studies. Her work in eco-justice education and education as an ethical process is a framework that I have particularly been interested in recently as I'm teaching a new course in religion and ecology. Um, I wanted to interview Rebecca in particular because of her new book, A Pedagogy of Responsibility, Wendell Berry for Eco-Justice Education, published by Routledge in 2019. So Rebecca, welcome to Nothing Never Happens. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, eco-justice education uh, and Wendell Berry. Um, I'd like to know, first of all, how did you come to focus in this area? Um, that is a great question. So probably 20 years ago now, um, I was preparing to write a proposal for a conference and um, uh, it was a conference that I just went to uh, every year. And so the call for papers was out and I was trying to figure out what is a question that I haven't asked of myself mm -hmm. yet. And so um, and I work fairly autobiographically. I start with questions that are popping up in my own life. And, um, and then I try to push those out to understand the larger cultural, political, economic, and pedagogical context. So in this case, um, I began to think about how important the suffering of other creatures has been yeah. um, in my life, and in particular in my childhood, and how much um, I had not allowed myself to focus on that, um, especially my own suffering in the face of creaturely and ecological degradation. Um, mostly because as a child, when I would express that pain um, and, and try to like get my family to understand how I felt, Mm -hmm. It was um, it was met with a kind of um, I don't know. Um, well, I've written about that. It was met with the kind of shaming like, oh, yeah. that's not that important. You know, they're just animals or they're just trees or that's just a swamp. Don't worry about it. You're just too sensitive. So yeah. um, I pushed it away. Um, and did a PhD or a doctoral program in where I focus on uh, human rights and, and uh, social justice issues, but not, didn't allow myself to really connect the two through mm -hmm. the first, I don't know, <laughs> at least the first 10 years of my work as a professor. Yeah. So here I was getting ready to write a proposal and I thought, oh, this is the question. It just won't go away. It's pestering me now. Mm -hmm. So um, 
so I wrote a proposal for it. And actually, in preparation to even think about it, I wrote a letter to my mother. Uh, yeah. Um, and because I was recognizing that of anyone in my life, she understood this part of me better than anyone else. And indeed, as I've continued to write about this and think about the values that I learned as a little girl, I realized that she was my first and primary teacher. Mm -hmm. um, even though she couldn't protect me from the shaming process that went on around this. Yeah. So, so that's how it started. And as I t began to take seriously that this is a question that I could ask and that I should ask, um, I began to read and, uh, I read the two scholars that became the most important sort of jumping off points for me were, um, Australian feminist Val Plumwood, mm -hmm. um, especially her first book, Feminism and the Mastery of Nature, and then Chet Bauer's work. Yeah. And um, so those two scholars began to sort of like affirm what I was already thinking and believing, which is basically that the degradation of the natural world is a cultural crisis and mm -hmm. that we shouldn't... and we shouldn't separate in our sort of scholarly work or our understanding of the world, human forms of suffering and degradation from the degradation of the natural world, that they're based or rooted in um, the same assumptions. And that yeah. those assumptions have a history, right? And they're deeply yeah. embedded in our society and that we be basically become thinking, teaching, acting, whatever, um, humans via these very, very powerful discursive processes that we internalize, right? So yeah. So our, our attitudes about each other and about the, the natural world <clears throat> are constructed <clears throat> within this very, very powerful meaning system. Mm -hmm. um, and so Plumwood's work on that was so affirming because she began she she begins from the recognition that we're embedded in um, both very powerful ecological processes and that we're absolutely dependent upon and that um, were created through a cultural system um, that's basically made of powerful value hierarchies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So that we we learn um, that the idea that some people are superior to other people and all people are superior to um, other species is natural. And, and so we live it. Um, so her work uh, and then coupled with Bauer's understanding that this happens via languaging processes. Um, really allowed me to begin to draw on my own earlier work and around my earlier feminist work um, that drew on Foucault and process, you know, understanding how discourse works and, um, mm -hmm. and that we're created as subjects, right, as thinking, speaking humans, um, very much within uh, 
very powerful um, discursive processes. So, yeah, uh, yes, and systems right? of patriarchy. Yes, systems of patriarchy and systems of human supremacy and systems of white supremacy, yes. all mixed up together, right? Mm -hmm. And also, um, you know, <laughs> for Bowers, what he does is he he talks about those supremacist discourses as they intersect. But he also talks about how, and this goes to Barry as well, how a mechanistic model of the world uh, um, also allows us to um, approach knowing in ways that uh, sort of chop up the world and use yeah. measurements and you know there it's basically a, a a way of rationalizing mastery models so yeah. <clears throat> so all of that um coupled with <laughs> so mm -hmm. all of that philosophical stuff and social theoretical stuff coupled with my recognition of what i learned as a child mm -hmm. um, from the back of a horse mm -hmm. from my mother um mm -hmm. And running through fields and forests and playing in streams and um, just having that opportunity as a child, live, growing up in a very rural area. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so I learned values that are very contrary to this larger cultural uh, system that we're immersed in. And yeah. they were in conflict for me. I mean, really emotionally. Um, I embodied a set of values that were quite different than certainly what I learned in school and certainly what other people in my life were um, reaffirming for me, you know, like that, that the natural world was just there for us and don't worry about roadkill and don't worry about, you know, <laughs> the tree that just got cut down because blah, blah, you know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 So, so do you think that, um, you know, discovering Wendell Berry's work, um, and then you're, you know, writing writing this book on Wendell, um, helped to bring you back to those initial, uh, that initial rural oh, set yeah. and context and the, and what you'd learned on the back of that horse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I say somewhere in this book that reading Wendell Berry from the moment I started reading Wendell Berry, um, at the advice of Chet Bowers, basically. Mm -hmm. It, I was I was right back to I I understood immediately what he was trying to get at, but mm -hmm. from my little girl self, right from that, yeah, from that little girl self. So I uh, it reading Wendell helps me to sort of um, embrace um, a value system and understand it really. Mm -hmm. um, that that I grew up in, but, but also you know <laughs> his work also helps us to see the contradictions, right? Because at the same time that I was falling in love with this wider, complex living world, um, and and learning to be awed by it. Um, I was also learning that it didn't matter. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it was a very odd mix. Um, 
and and that's you know Barry has been trying to um, understand that conflict I think through all of his all of his work like he talks about how he's been trying to understand a, a certain processes of disintegration um, because the cultural system that we live in uh -huh. the economic system that it supports is about disintegrating uh, yeah. at least from an ideological standpoint, dis well, and actually from a real standpoint, disintegrating yeah. those um, complex relationalities that create the living world, right? And with yeah. us in it. <laughs> yes. yeah. And the problems that we face because of that, I mean, the disasters that we're facing yeah. because of that, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the turn to agribusiness instead uh, of agriculture. Exactly. Yes. And that, you know, that allow for something as ridiculously violent and stupid as mountaintop removal. For yeah. Example. yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. my goodness. I mean, the fact that we could do that and not see the lives that are being destroyed by it. Yeah for profit over well-being, right? I mean, it's it's just, it's a, we live in a kind of insanity, really. It's, yeah. It, you know, and so for me, it's like, wow, hmm, I think I knew this as a little girl. So why did it take so long hmm. for me to finally allow myself to stop apologizing about it, mm -hmm. you know, for feeling this way? Because it's a, it's a strongly emotional, an embodied um, experience, like you, both yeah. when you recognize how beautiful the world is and dangerous and complex and massive, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and all that we'll never understand about it because it's such an, a, an incredibly complex process of becoming. Um, yeah. And how harmful we are in our stupidity, in our blindness. <laughs> yeah, well, and, that leads me to ask, um, you know, you, you've entitled your book, uh, Pedagogy of Responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, could you define that in terms of um, uh, your eco-justice education? Yeah. What does it mean to have a pedagogy of responsibility? And then the second part of that is, how does that relate to critical or liberatory pedagogy? Yeah, that's that's a tricky one, but I'll try. I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So the first part of it is, is easy for me, and uh, um, as I've uh, tried to teach about this, and um, and certainly as I've tried to write about it, there are three intersecting strands. Mm -hmm. of an eco-justice approach. Um, the first is uh, to recognize that we are born into a very complex and destructive cultural system. Yeah. Um, that's centuries old, that, um, you know, has been exported across the planet um, in the name of progress. And um, and that we're basically 
created as subjects of it. Mm -hmm. And so the, what we say is we have to engage our students and ourselves basically in what we call a cultural ecological analysis. In other words, looking at how that cultural system is at the root of both social and ecological crises, um, intersecting crises, and that and that we we are implicated in it. That's a really key piece. It's not about you know just going to the marginalized people and saying, "Look, you're marginalized. Look why." Right? It's really about let's look at how we're all implicated in this. Mm -hmm. And by by trying to trace the complex weave of meanings that create how we think and believe yeah. and, and that we're caught in. Um, so that's the first step. Um, mm -hmm. And it's about, so yeah, so it's about not, not blaming any one group or individual or even ourselves, right? It's about saying, oh my gosh, look what culture does. Yeah. Um, look at how it creates our own psyches, right? Deeply unconscious um, places. So, and then because there's no way to disrupt it without naming the how it works. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, what we I use Chet's model basically Bauer's model where he talks about root metaphors and we talk about discourses, mm -hmm. um, um, and so we take this handful of the most powerful ones, you know, the supremacy discourses, male supremacy, uh, yeah. racism, um, and then anthropocentrism. Mm -hmm. Plus, we look at the discourse on progress, scientism, rationalism, mechanism individualism mm -hmm. and we try to show i try to work with students to trace how those ways of thinking create our economic systems our institutions mm -hmm. our family structures how we define work all of that right we start to trace it out and how and so what happens as we do that um is we all begin to see how we in fact reproduce it yeah as teachers, as partners in, you know, domestic relationships in, in all our relationships and that, and that there's no, so it shakes us, right? I mean, it's really, yeah. it's, it's really, um, devastating in some ways. Um, have you ever read Wendell Berry's, uh, the hidden wound? Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's doing that in that, in that piece, he's looking at the history of his mm -hmm. family as slave owners, right? And the history of racism in his own growing up in his own self. And he's basically mm -hmm. confronting this devastating reality of his own psyche being created in a racist culture. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful and powerful and, and painful, um, piece of work and it's it's a good example of what I'm trying to get at here that we have to confront ourselves um, while we understand our larger culture and that if teachers could begin to do that with their students uh, a lot would get shaken up mm -hmm. so that's just part one <laughs> okay the second, the second piece is um, 
that while we're doing that, we also need to recognize that that's not all we are. Mm -hmm. And that also that there are, it's not the only way of thinking and being that exists among humans on the planet. So Chet Bowers has done a lot of work around this concept of the commons, the what he calls the cultural and environmental commons. Yeah. Um, and what he's getting at with that concept, so this is part two, identifying the commons. Um, what he's getting at is are the question about are there ways of being, are there practices, traditions, rituals, relationships that run counter to the discourses of modernity that we're that we're also created through in our own in our own communities, but also worldwide. Like and mm -hmm. his his focus was so for so long was on looking at other indigenous land-based cultures that organize themselves very differently um, and around very different values uh, and as models of what it could mean to be human on the planet that's not destructive <laughs> yeah. um, or at least that's so different from an industrialized um, culture that it gives us a recognition that you know what we experience as modern um, members of an industrialized culture mm -hmm. is not what it means to be human, which often gets confused. Well, you know, it gets rationalized as this is just how humans are, but no, this is not just how humans are. This is how it how we become members of this particular culture, and there are other humans on the planet who do life very differently. So, and recognizing their commons, the relationships that, um, so to, to define the commons would be to say, well, we have practices and the cultural commons would be the practices, religious uh, relationships, traditions that are not monetized mm. and that create the particular kinds of day-to-day -day, um, values uh, that we need to live, right? And so in our own lives, we, we can think about all kinds of things that we do that are not monetized, that are not learned via um, a, a monetary ex exchange, but are about creating well-being among us. So we can think about child care practices, elder care practices, food cultivation and preparation practices, um, games we've learned as children, mm -hmm. music, the arts, you know, all kinds of things that, that don't need to be monetized, but also offer us ways of um, being together that are healthier. Yeah. And so what I, so this, as the second part of this approach, I asked my students to try to identify those forms in their own lives. Like in this culture, in this very attenuated, hyper-monetized, market-oriented mm -hmm. um, culture, are there other things that we do day to day that are very undervalued, hmm. but that are really about what it means to live well together? Yeah. And so we, so that's part two. Um, because, and that's really an important, it's also a very, very important part of Barry's work. I mean, he's, oh, all yeah. his 
fiction, right, is really about trying to demonstrate oh, yeah. for us what does it really mean to live well together yes. and what and what undermines it right yeah yeah um, yeah and so i you know thinking back to my childhood i think oh gee all those things i learned from my mother that didn't require an exchange of money that those were critical lessons mm -hmm. and they're old it's old 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 knowledge really mm. old knowledge um and it's often, interestingly, I think, it taught through women. Yes, I was just thinking that. Yes, it, it is. And we're taught to adhere to those values because we're taught to be primary caretakers. Exactly. Right? And we identify as primary caretakers. And we're also inferiorized by this culture that sees caretaking as less important than money making. Yeah. All right. So all of this begins to like crash into each other yeah. <laughs> or wind yeah. around each other. And yes. each other. Yeah. And Wendell and his poetry, you know, focusing on um, in one of the mad farmer poems, you know, will this disturb the woman who's about to give birth? You know, that the, the focus becomes on women. Yeah. 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 Oh boy. And um, in his lovely essay, "The Body and the Earth," mm -hmm. there's so much in there about how our industrialized culture has um, demeaned the role of women, um, mm. um, and demeaned the role of caretakers. Demeaned farmers too as caretakers, right? Yeah. I mean, all the the caretaking. Um, um, skills and knowledge has been so um, mm -hmm. undermined and de or degraded, even though we still need it, right? We still, anyway. Um, okay, so the third right. one? Yeah, so the third piece um, comes right out of my reading of Barry mm -hmm. and continues to kind of um, develop as I think more and more about the complexity of his thinking. But uh, I talk about it as in terms of his notion of imagination. Mm -hmm. But also, I would add to that his uh, his understanding of the importance of both imagination and affection. So his little book, there's Jefferson's speech, It All Turns on Affection, has been really, really important to me because what he's talking about is that we need the capacity a kind of two-sided capacity to imagine who we ought to be in the world and what our responsibilities are to the world yeah and and also to imagine what the damages are if hmm. we don't take that responsibility hmm. like we may not experience those damages directly but we need to understand what happens if we don't understand our responsibility yeah right so um <clears throat> so a pedagogy of responsibility um is about all three of those things mm -hmm. operating together like the a pe it's a pedagogical approach that 
insists that we understand that we ourselves are products of a very damaging cultural system yeah. um, that we're forced to be participating in on a day-to-day -day level. That that's not all that we know or need to know. Um, so we need to identify the ways of being that are um, very ancient, th that are made from very ancient forms of wisdom yeah. um, that exist in diverse ways across the planet. Um, and and that uh, we need to we need to be creative in thinking about what we do now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because we can't go back. There's no, it's not, this is not about going back. And it's also not about being romantic, right? Mm -hmm. Barry gets accused of being this romantic farmer, right? But he's not being romantic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his yeah. prose is gorgeous and might be misunderstood as romantic, but it's not about romantic romanticism. It's about, struggling with who we've become as as a people um, and how we get out of it right and yeah. and what we already know and need and and need to know and who we need to learn from mm -hmm. that could that could help us so i mean he's very clear uh, throughout his work that we have we have missed um major opportunities to learn from the people who were here before us. Yeah. And that we consistently overlook nature as a primary teacher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and he, make, he makes the connections and this, this reminds me of one of the sections of your book um, called degraded bodies, degraded work, degraded mm -hmm. land. Yes. And how the, uh, all those connect. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, under uh, Barry's analysis of racism, as you were talking about, yeah, how you say um, it's a, it's an intentional desecration of the body, spirit, and earth, mm -hmm. a fiction of superiority created by and through one's relationship to a particular form of work, requiring sweat and toil and direct embodied connection with the land. And this, you know, he certainly um, gets that in his short stories and, and novels. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, and for me, I mean, my grandfather was a dairy farmer. And um, my mother grew up on a, that farm that was only about a mile and a half from where I grew up. So um, her wisdom mm -hmm. was developed um, as a young child on that farm um, mm. and through her father um, who, you know, raised Holstein cows and grew gardens and raised chickens. And, um, and you know, <laughs> she, um, she grew up despising the farm because in her community, being a farmer's daughter was degraded. Yeah. There was a class system, right? And so she she felt like she was inferior having been raised as a daughter of a farmer. And yeah. 
and but in reality the knowledge and understanding of what it means to be in relation with the land and in relation with other creatures and other people was it, it was so powerful but she never understood it as such right yeah. in fact she when i was finally coming to terms with all of this and she was dying um i tried to thank her i said you know i said mom i have to tell you that i get choked up when i think about this so <laughs> excuse yeah. me i have to tell you that you were my first teacher i learned so much from you and i want you to know how grateful i am and she just shook her head and said no 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 hmm. That's the end of part one of my conversation with Rebecca Marta Savage. In part two, Rebecca is going to talk to us about some specifics of eco-justice pedagogy using Wendell Berry as a guide through his concepts of love, of eco-literacy, of nature, and of justice.